Welcome to the podcast, Risk is the New Kale. Each episode, I talk with folks who have figured out how to extract opportunity from risk. As someone who has spent a career controlling risk, I want to know those who embrace it. Risk is the new kale. Good for you. Hard to take. He paints dreamy, surreal canvases and is self-taught. He's lived all over North America in some pretty tough neighborhoods, and he's a survivor of bullying and physical violence. He's a gentle, thoughtful artist who's been mentored and supported by some of Canada's most famous painters, Gordon Smith and Richard Attila Lukacs. He believes that an artist's role is to break down barriers and social protocols. Welcome, Tyler Taves. Hi. What do you think of the intro? Yeah, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right on. So, Tyler, when we first met, we were at an auction where one of your paintings was going for an amazing sum. And your work has been compared to expressionists Beskia and de Kooning. But you're an authentic creator of exciting new paintings. What does it feel like when your work gets that kind of attention? Uh, it feels good. It feels like I've accomplished something or I take kind of like risks in a way of like just putting myself out there and allowing myself to be vulnerable because I didn't know how that was going to go and that day and uh, does it shock you when like a whole bunch of people are bidding like yeah crazy but part of me felt like it was gonna go well but I wasn't sure so I was like don't didn't want to put all my eggs in one basket kind of thing well you know I'm a huge admirer of your art and it seems to me to be alive with the figures that you paint there are so many faces, and they're all benevolent spirits. I think I've heard you describe them that way. Uh, it's beautiful and dynamic. There's a lot of energy. There's bold color, and it incorporates the aesthetics of street art as well. What's the process for you of translating what's in your thinking onto the canvas? Um, the process for me is actually down to the bare bones, just like buying the canvas, buying the paints. The colors that I buy that day are going to reflect what my how my painting's going to turn out and the mood it's going to give. Um, also, life experience. I draw from everything, like a simple walk on a city sidewalk, like and staring at all the detritus or the beauty or like the nice buildings and the rundown areas or the train yards or the subway system it's all inspiration i'm watching something i'm watching uh, i'm a viewer and also it's like when i paint the when i paint the paintings it's like a mirror image of what's actually in my mind um in a strange way i draw from like life experience and my and a lot of visual too things that no one really looks at or doesn't even notice like in in the city or wherever um i feel like those things i just will stare at for a long time like it's there's a nostalgic feel to like 
buildings and places and things where people congregate um, that um, have been there for like centuries and centuries. It sounds to me like you pick up on the energy of the people that have been there before. Yeah, I do. I pick up on a lot of energy. Some would say like I pick up on certain energies that have been there and look at old photographs of like what that used to be or um, even living in places where like a business used to be there on the street or whatever and you used to go get your coffee there. Oh, that's not there anymore. They tore that down. But uh, like there's like neighborhoods where I grew up in, especially in Vancouver, it's happened a lot more. Mm -hmm. um, and you know just oh that's not there anymore that's not there anymore and we'll have like a new generation of people that don't even know what was there any before that mm -hmm. um but also it has it carries like this energy of like intergenerational kind of thoughts yeah. that are there yeah 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 that's great is it hard to make a living as an artist uh, yes, it, yeah, it's pretty, it can be pretty stressful to, like, make a living as an artist, um, but it's, like, what I love to do, and it fuels my fire, um, but also, it is hard to make a living sometimes, like, especially if, like, things are happening in the world or whatever, especially with COVID and stuff, and shows getting cancelled, and... The business side of it. The business side of it, the yeah. financial. The, I always felt like the collector and the artist have this unique relationship in this bond because if there is no collector, how, how long can you go on making art? I'd still make art, but like I wouldn't be attached to it monetarily. I feel like the collector and the artist it's very important because I'm sharing something with the collector and they like the painting um, or a piece of artwork or whatever and they like get something from that painting. That's, and in turn it helps the artist move forward with more art making. Yeah, it helps them with finances of like overhead of like making large scale paintings and mm -hmm. stuff. Because you're not it working in miniatures here. No, they're not miniatures, but I'm also like, it's like a boost of confidence too, because you know that people still believe in you and, yeah, yeah. you know, you have all those great things to draw from as an artist. It's and, more than a business relationship. It's more than just a business relationship. It's not like, ooh, I sold a painting. Oh yeah, big bucks and stuff like that. It's not like that. It's mm -hmm. like, it's like, good, I sold that painting. It's an accomplishment. Like, but also, like, I can, I can pay. I can feed myself. I can clothe myself. I could take care of myself, and I can make more artwork, to to um, move forward in the future and still build solid relationships with people and stuff so yeah just try to be a productive member of society but it's like this 
it's like this almost underground subculture of artists and collectors that mm -hmm. are like that group together that wouldn't necessarily like meet each other right. in their own circles right totally so it's kind of, kind of like bridges the gap between society and stereotypes and stuff so yeah yeah i think that's that breaking down of social barriers piece that's really important to you as well yeah yeah i'm really about that because like when when people kind of like cast you away for being a different person or just like growing up in a different lower income neighborhood or something or whatever race color like mm -hmm. religion or and also like financial like you can be like a fluent businessman or a woman like and there's a lot of barriers to yeah like yeah 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 what do your friends in the artistic community say about um, how the last two years of the pandemic has affected them? How has it affected some of the folks that you know and work with? I know that it's affected a few people. Um, some people were still doing okay, but I know that some artists were struggling and stuff. I know a lot of friends that were like struggling financially and I was too. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, I didn't let that like stop me, you know, like just make do with what you have and yeah, we couldn't like let the a world small stop paint, us. a small paint budget and still having faith in myself and my art practice and having faith that things will get better. Um, yeah. But I know that like some of my friends were, I don't know, like some of them were struggling, but this everyone seemed to make it through it. Like, I wonder where that resiliency comes from. Like maybe it's just the collective takes care of one another, but there's very interesting parts of society that were super resilient yeah. coming through the pandemic. I know you were raised in East Van, uh, Windsor, Ontario, South Bend, Indiana. Yeah. Where was the best place that you lived? Like those are all very different weather places. Yeah. Um, I I also lived in Dominican Republic when I was really young, but um, I'd say I liked the weather there. But um, I. Uh, I, I kind of take a bit from every every place where I lived. Like take I take a little snippet of it, and and just I like what it has to offer in that area. You know, in South Bend, you could easily just go to Chicago or something for like a day trip or whatever. Um, so that was fun, and you're close to other big cities mm -hmm. too. Um, but it, um, in Windsor, you can go to Detroit and that's like really good for music. And I had a lot of friends in Detroit that would like come over and, um, to Windsor and we would, on the weekends, we'd have dance hall parties and stuff in the basements in the West side 
Um, I grew up in East Windsor, but um, yeah, there's like all kinds of things. And when the weather's nice, it's like, it's kind of, it's different, like the East Coast or whatever. And living in the Midwest, um, it was, it was different living in the States. There was like a bit of a, like different, because I'm in a different country, Hmm. but it's still North America, but it's like there's a lot of different things going on you know like it was very fast-paced and um you could feel culturally that it was different yeah and and generally people were like friendly like they were they were just like if you wanted trouble like where i lived you could easily go find it you if you wanted it but um it's it's good to steer clear of that like a lot of people had their heads screwed on straight, you know. Um, but not saying that I was the best child, but <laughs> is there such a thing as a best? Child? I don't know I what don't a know. best child is, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I would like to talk um, about a subject that you've talked openly about before. Yeah. But I think it's also want to be really respectful of the fact that you live with a mental illness and you were diagnosed with schizophrenia at 19. Yeah. Tell me about what it means for you to Um, live with was I was diagnosed with schizophrenia, but I also was just re-diagnosed with PTSD. Um, But I'm like doing a lot of like healing around that and therapy and stuff. And just like taking care of my mental health and and uh, I was like misdiagnosed for like so long it's it's like a hard topic obviously to talk about like you just don't tell your first date or anyone or like a new friend or something about it because there's stigma attached around having a mental illness right when do you think society's gonna figure that out because yeah. there's so many of us that carry something all it is is like a chemical imbalance so like the serotonin that your body produces creates the positive electricity in your mind right so like if we just looked at it like that way instead of how someone is when they're on the deep end of their mental illness Mm -hmm. or they have like relapsed off medication or something that it's actually a medical condition I feel with COVID because the idea of anxiety and and the stress of COVID brought so much more discussion of mental health to the front. Yeah. That as a society we're beginning to have more language around it and Yeah. And maybe language has to come first before there's a tipping point about how people can be open and feel accepted. Yeah, cuz one thing that the stigma causes is barriers. So there's a lot of people less fortunate that have multiple barriers because they've been cast away from their family or friends or whatever. Um, They don't get the proper medical help from like government paid for like clinics and they're still really good workers there and they're really great people. You're taking a small budget and you're spreading it quite thin over a lot of people. Yeah, and not everyone has the time to really focus on you. That someone like me, who 
is doing really well and I'm not in a crisis, you almost have to have a crisis to be able to talk to someone um, and get consistent therapy. You gotta just like take care of yourself, I guess. So right? How do you take care of yourself? I mean, you've, you've obviously created a place for yourself around your wellness that is really exceptional. If people are listening to this, what would you say is really important for somebody to be doing and thinking about? Well, the one thing that like helps me take care of my health is staying positive or optimistic. Once I kind of slope down into negative thinking, that does nothing for me and it produces that manifestation or whatever. So as long as I'm optimistic and I'm positive through all the rough times, it trains my mind to like be more open and have gratitude for what I have already. Um, if you have said in the past that you use your mental health um, as a creative tool, how do you use that? How does that sit together? With I your find creative? that even if like, if I was in a state of crisis, like I have, I have been in just like mental health nightmares, like oh. that where I still stayed creative and I would just be like painting this huge giant painting, just losing my marbles. It wasn't frightening, but I knew that if I did not paint or like make something, it would be a lot more drastic. That was another risk. I didn't take a break when I was having a rough time. Like, and I ended up selling that one painting I had, but I continued to paint. And uh, that's the one thing that I felt like is the true savior. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I'm not religious, but I, I just, I feel like there's something there there's something there that is unexplainable there's an energy mm. in being creative mm. yeah i mean i think that was really well described i just feel like if there's other people that like have anxieties or depression or i feel like being creative somehow will reset your mind into a different space in your thoughts and your physical being your like emotional state do you feel like you live with risk? Like, tell me, tell me how risk and opportunity work for you. Yeah, I take risks, but like, I feel like it's still a risk even if you approach someone and need a job or something. You're putting yourself out there, you're taking a risk, like from embarrassment or a financial risk, like, oh, I'm gonna, paint this giant painting but i gotta buy a 500 stretcher for it so there's all kinds of risks that i take but it's also like i think artists do take risks mm -hmm. because that's so that's what you have to do to prove that you're a painter or an artist or a visual artist if you don't take risks as an artist and you're playing it safe all the time it only lasts for so long, you know what I mean? So So we're in your studio right now and there's somebody next door you can hear. It sounds like they're prepping yeah. their, their work. Is there any time like when you just know that every studio in the building is occupied? Like you can yeah. feel that? Yeah. Sometimes it's like if my music's too loud 
I'll find out about it or right, right. or whatever. But yeah. Do you always paint to music? Yeah, I paint to music. Sometimes I like silence. Yeah, it's it's strange. Sometimes I'll find I paint really peaceful when I'm playing like black metal or something. I'll listen to that for a few hours and I'll turn on some jazz or something. Okay, uh, I want to ask you a question about your art. Because you use a lot of different medium. I'm going to use a bunch of terms and they're all going to be wrong because I'm not an artist. But I, I see in, in a lot of your work, not just the way that you layer paint, but you also layer fabric and you use stencils. Um, you, you build up and, I, and you have paintings where there's just multiple stories almost within the same canvas and only you know them because people are seeing the final version on the outside. Yeah. What compels you to use a different medium? It's a process and they're all oil paintings. Sometimes I'll like paint an acrylic underpainting and then it will inspire me for the final painting. Just like picking up the paintbrush, painting on the canvas and doing my drawing there. Mm. Um, and sketching on the canvas. I don't like base it off a drawing that I already have done. It's not that structured. Right, right. Yeah. And is that really an intuitive process? You're just sort of also letting your physicality be part yeah, of the art? Yeah, you're like your arms connected to your mind, yeah, you know? Of course. So, yeah. yeah. Your arm almost has its own brain. I find like human interaction and staying social is like, very important to me for my mental health and also my art practice but even if you're by yourself and you're just in a public space you are still feeling that warmth of energy that i feel like it, it's okay you, you can you can chill now so awesome yeah <laughs> Tyler, as we're sitting here, some of your canvases are enormous. I do paint small paintings too, but um, it's really fun painting large paintings and I have never stopped since I started. So mm. painting large, it, it's like different. There's something different to it because you're opening yourself up. Right. Even and, and right there lies the risk because if it, if, if people think it's not a good painting. It's not a small risk, it's like. It's like a big risk. <laughs> and you spent like a thousand dollars or 2,000 sometimes on supplies for it, so. So has supply chain affected the cost of the paints? Yeah, some art supplies have gone up in price for yeah. sure. The one thing that kind of ticks me off is um, minimum wage hasn't really gone up. Um, and there are people way worse off than me that can't afford to do certain things yeah. like or have a studio Yeah Do you go back to the same paint color a lot like is that something that you personally are? Yeah, sometimes to? I'm attached to certain colors yeah. and Yes, it's good to move on, but <laughs> I do like red <laughs> 
when you're like placing colors in different areas. It's kind of like a game of Tetris. Yeah, I, I can see that because when you look at your canvases, your eye moves all over the canvas. What other um, artistic mediums haven't you tried that you would like to? So you said that you're not a musician. Yeah. Ever been on stage? Have I ever been on stage? Mm -hmm. um, actually, when I was a when I was when I was a youth, I acted in music videos. Acted in a few music videos. Okay. Um, used to act in TV commercials, like small time ones. I don't know. I'd like to get into like sculpture. Um, that's something that I'm starting to work towards this year is to Great. start the ball rolling um also it's easier to buy a sculpture if someone doesn't have the wall space for a painting um they can still collect mm -hmm. art that way mm -hmm. i do have a neon piece that i'm having made right now got a few irons in the fire still. yeah i always yeah. got irons in the fire so you support uh, your craft and the studio through a day job. So what's your day job? My day job is I work for Aritzia and I build window displays. We fabricate window displays. Um, yeah, and I do a lot of painting there. Um, I think there's an interesting relationship between retail and art. And those storefront windows are kind of part of that, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I work with a lot of artists and musicians in my department, so it's like a fun place to work for sure, yeah. I, I have read that you have said the only way to live is by example. Yeah, I used to work at a youth resource center for youth that were either street entrenched or had multiple barriers. And the one thing that I knew was to live by example to help youth see that there's a there's there's other avenues and paths. Just because this rough time is is not the best, if you lead by example, someone can see that their life can get better. But also, when you're trying to help someone, it's best not to preach. To but I do lead by example. This is the last question. Yeah. If you could fix anything on the planet, any issue, what yeah. would it be? What would it be? Yeah. Um, I'd have I'd I'd have a few things to fix on the planet. If it what would it be? We do live on indigenous land, and and it's not the only place where it's happened. It's happened mm -hmm. around the planet, but also climate change building pipelines all across the planet, polluting our environment, and we have to pay for it because some corporation is, is greedy and they're in cahoots with the politicians and the politicians order the authoritarians to stop people from protesting those things. Um, but also like politics is like a very tricky thing to talk about because like, you can say one thing, but someone else has something else to say. Another thing I would like to change would probably be like, you know, like equality. Like I feel like we gotta like 
like take away like stereotypes of demographics and just have just like a see, chill, see the human like a, a, like a utopian planet would be my dream like it would just be like really cool <laughs> so it's amazing thanks so much you're welcome <laughs> it feel like an hour yeah i guess <laughs> I, I guess so <laughs> yeah.